0: This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled, Judge Not. This is the first message in the series, Unlearning Religion. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy.
1: So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses and online, so good to have you with us today. Uh, About a month ago I was uh, in Canada on some ministry business and entered into a conversation with a a gal who works there, a younger gal, uh, post-college graduate, I'll call her Haley for the sake of uh, this story. And, and when Haley asked, what do you do for a living, we got into the pastor conversation and then led into a longer conversation about faith. And, and Haley said, and she kind of shared with me, well, I grew up in the church and, and I, just, I believe God exists. I believe that God created all this. It didn't just happen by accident. I believe that God sent Jesus, uh, His Son, to die on the cross for our sin. He raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the only way back to God uh, for salvation to be restored to God and eternal life. I believe the Bible is God's word, uh, uh, but um, but for me right now, I'm just enjoying my freedom. I said, that's an interesting way to say it. What, what, what do you mean enjoying your freedom? Oh, well, I, all, what I mean is that I, I still believe in Jesus. I, I just don't follow him. I said, really? I said, because I thought that Jesus was the source of freedom, the Jesus that you're talking about, because that's how the, he described himself, come that you might have life happen to the full real freedom. Well, yeah, I says I know. But see, I, all, what I'm saying is I grew up with, um, with a lot of religious rules. And church and Christian school, and now that I'm on my own, I'm, I'm enjoying my freedom. <laughs> well, it was really quite an honest, authentic, engaging conversation. Haley was delightful. Hey, and before I left, I said, well, let, let me just, hey, Haley, ask you one more question. Um, if Jesus were to come back to earth physically, take on human flesh, have a dialogue with you, sit down over coffee one-on-one and say, um, one thing, and ask one question. Haley, what do you think Jesus would ask you right now? Oh, she says, I don't know. I'm, I, She thought about it. She, okay, okay. You know what? I, I think if Jesus were here right now, sat down with me just one-on-one, I think Jesus would ask me, Haley, why don't you trust me? Why don't you walk with me? Why don't you really follow me with abandon? I'm like, come on to applaud her. I'm like, good for you, Haley. Wow. Haley, I think you nailed it. I think you asked the kind of question Jesus would ask. See, what Haley did in that moment is she... She acknowledged that she had allowed her relationship with God, her she had allowed her really her faith to become religion, and and that Jesus, if he engaged her in a, in a question and conversation, he would make it about the relationship because that's the whole point. The whole point is not some mere religion, but but that it would it would be an engaging, life changing, life breathing relationship. See, I think what plagued Haley was plaguing the people of Jesus' day when he showed up and plagued many of us today. And what I mean is what I put in your teaching notes. So if you have your your bulletins for your teaching notes, you want to do kind of that fill in the blank, I put it right there in your notes with you. Here it is. What was intended to be a relationship with God, what was intended to be a what? Relationship with God had become a religion about God. See, I think that was plaguing Haley and I think that happens for many of us. See, Haley, Haley, had gathered the information. She had information from Bible truth. What she was missing is the transformation of God's truth. It hadn't moved in and transformed. It wasn't living and breathing. And see, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is is trying to help us move from religion to relationship. That that what had been taught from the time of Moses to the nation of Israel to understand the righteousness of God and what it means to know God and walk with God. See, the design of this is that we would be in an amazing life-giving relationship with God and others. Love God, love others. This would be the summary of the whole experience. And so through God, you'd have the greatest freedom of all in life. I mean, you would breathe in a relationship of love with God and love with one another that has no equal on earth, but it had been reduced to religion. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon, he wants to help the people unlearn religion in order to learn how to love, to unlearn religion. Say that with me, everybody. To do what? Unlearn religion. Because there's some things you got to unlearn before you can learn. So you gotta unlearn religion in order to learn how to love. That's really what the surround on the Mount is helping us do. In fact, Jesus said it this way frequently. If you read through chapters five, six, and seven, you have heard it said, but I tell you. See, what he's saying is you've heard it said. In other words, the Pharisees have taken the Old Testament Moses law and translated it this way. But now I tell you, You got to unlearn how they're translating it, and you need to learn what was intended. And that brings us in to this Sermon on the Mount, where where Jesus wants to help us experience transformed relationships with God and one another. So, we're going to jump into a series. On the Sermon on the Mount, this unlearning religion. I want to walk you through how this might be felt, so to speak. How we're going to go after this. And, and the goal of it, you probably already got an idea now. The goal of it is not information. The goal of this is not that you get, just get more information. I mean, you, I want you to learn it. God wants you to learn it. You want, you want it, but But the goal is not just add information. But the goal is, what do you think I'm going after? Transformation. What is it? Transformation. That you would be transformed. And so how are we going to do this series? Because I've been thinking about this for probably a decade. You think, really? You get This stuff sits in your head? That, yeah, how do we get through? Because if we were to really study Sermon on the Mount, it would probably take us six to 12 months straight. And some of you might be in for that, but I don't think most of us can absorb that. So because the goal, again, is not just information, it's transformation. How would we do that? Never done this before, brand new. Here's all, here's all I want to go after. On the weekend... Here's what it's going to look like. For the next month, so for one month, we're going to do a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to do Judge Not. Okay, that's where we're going today. But then when we're done, we're going to move into December. We're going to move into January. We're going to move into February. And on the weekends, we're not going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount on the weekends. In fact, in December, we're going to go into a new series, Do Good, Feel Good Christmas. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time together. It's our 30th uh, Christmas. In January, we're going to do another New Year's series. And that series is going to be How to Build a Great Family. It's going to be a phenomenal conversation, I think, really uh, transforming. And in February, we're going to have the Super Bowl. We did something new last year. And we're going to build on that. We're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. Okay, so, so in these months in between on the weekend, we're not going to be doing the Sermon on the Mount, but then in the month of March, we're, we're going to kind of do part two for a month of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and while we're doing these one months of Sermon on the Mount integrated occasionally on the weekend, you're, there are going to be times when you wish like, oh, I, I have a question. I have a question. Hey, many times, don't you wish you could just ask a question? Like in the middle of the teaching right now, hey, 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 can, can I ask you something? Well, we're gonna make that possible because at the end of each month, including this month, you will have an opportunity to ask questions. So you can go online and you can submit your question because the fourth week of this Judge Not One Month series Which means on November the 12th, I'm going to do the town hall Q&A. We tested that out this past August. And by popular demand, I'm going to throw it in at the end of many of our teaching series like the Sermon on the Mount. So I will answer your questions. And that will be awesome. And that will be true when we do it in March. And then we'll go to April and we'll go to May. But then in June, I'm going to do again another one month of the Sermon on the Mount, another segment of it. And this is going to repeat itself. So over the next 18 months or so, I'm going to hit it about six times. But what's new in addition to that is online, you're going to have an ongoing presence of things happening online regarding the Sermon on the Mount. So I asked Sean, our campus pastor over at the Beaufort campus, to give us a a more detailed overview of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be able to go online at 12stone.com slash watch. And you can go get that starting tomorrow. And then in the month of December, we're going to deal with one of the Beatitudes where it all begins in Matthew chapter 5. We don't have time for that on the weekends. And then in January, another Beatitude. In February, another one. In other words, we want you to have a marinated journey in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount that will occur over the next many months. We're not trying to move through it fast. We want to marinate. Because the goal here is not just that you would gather more information, though you'll need that, but that you would move into transformation. The Sermon on the Mount is to teach us how to unlearn religion and relearn what it means to have a loving, engaging, life-giving relationship with God and one another. In fact, we have the 21-day devotional at 12stone.com read for the next 21 days. We're, we're, we're going to start doing supplemental things online that help us stay engaged in this whole journey of the Sermon on the Mount. And that brings us to today. Where are we going to start? Glad you asked. Matthew chapter 7. Grab your Bibles here across the campuses. Matthew chapter 7. We're over on page 971. And on page 971, Matthew chapter 7. Page 971 of your worship center Bibles. Right underneath your chair here or at the campuses. uh, You receive one coming in that you can use. Or if you're on kind of on a mobile device, it's Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at some of the most, uh, literally what I think is probably the most popularly quoted, most famous quotes of Jesus on judging. And by the way, as you're turning there... This whole judge not thing, that, that is so common in our culture. I mean, that we say to one another, don't judge me. It's, it's interesting. I, I literally, years ago, was, was listening to a newscast, and, and one of the anchors on the newscast said, well, there are some Christians out there protesting, giving their opinions. Doesn't the Bible tell them not to judge? Isn't They're not even doing what their Jesus said they're supposed to do. I, mean, I just was entertained that there's a, apparently a non-Christian tell, tell, quoting Jesus back to us, <laughs> trying to help us. And that we do it with one another. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now just say, wherever you are, just say, don't judge me. Right here in the room, everywhere else, just say, don't judge me. Just say, yeah, don't judge me. I want to be judged by you. Now, what was Jesus actually saying? Look at the verse, chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge. There it is. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Dogs, pigs, pearls, planks, specks, what on earth is he teaching? <laughs> well, We're going to dive in, but let's get more of an intro to this with this whole judge not, because there are things we're supposed to learn. And out of curiosity, how many of you have ever felt judged by anybody at any point in your life? Any of you ever felt judged? Hands up all over. Of course. I have too, and I don't care for it. So what is Jesus teaching us here with this judge not? Well, there's something to unlearn, and then there's something to learn. What we need to unlearn is that Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard it said, he's talking about the Pharisees predominantly. The Pharisees are a sect of spiritual leaders with spiritual teaching authority. In that time, probably the most influential among the nation of Israel. They'd started centuries before, and they started with good motives to protect the law of Moses, the righteousness of God established through Moses so that all of Israel would know, like the Ten Commandments and the like. But what they did is they started adding to the righteous law of God, and they started adding many rules. And then they started establishing literally thousands of rules and then saying, everybody, you have to follow these rules, And and what got stirred in them is the Pharisees became superior, self-righteous, critical people who were condemning other people. That critical spirit that rose up in them, that kind of looks down on everybody else, is the thing Jesus is going after. Because listen, listen, the people of the day thought the Pharisees were the most righteous. And Jesus is saying, I have to help you, um, I I have to help you unlearn. Because that spirit of judging that you see in them is not righteous. It's actually unholy. You need to unlearn this critical spirit thing that's going on. So I want to give you three pictures here to help you understand what's going on in the teaching. The first one is the Pharisees' perspective on this. The second is the world. And then the third is Jesus. You ready? Let me give us three pictures. In order to do that, I'm going to use high jump. How many of you ever did high jump when you were in middle school, high school, college, any kind? You ever tried to jump over the bar? (coughs) Excuse me. So you you get the high jump idea. Well, we can use this as an illustration to understand, first of all, the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees came along and and they they acknowledged that the Old Testament taught this right here, the, the, the law of Moses. In other words, it established the height of God's holiness. That God is holy and God established himself as holy. And so this you could call the the righteous law of God. And and of course, it's over our heads. Nobody can clear it. Nobody nobody can. It's it's just over our heads to be holy as God is holy. So God establishes what it means to be holy and righteous and pure. And this, by the way, this law, this truth of God is what gives us a life-giving relationship. It's inside the truth of God that you figure out how to breathe and experience the fullness of life. This is all the free that Haley was talking about in the first story. It's it's, it's what we long for. But what did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees raised the bar. Say it with me, everybody. The Pharisees what? Raised the bar. And and since I can't reach it. That was not necessary. I I don't need your sarcasm. Don't judge me. Okay, so... So what they would, if, this is the, if this is the law of Moses, if this is the standard that God set of, of, of righteousness, what they would do is what? Raise the bar. Now here's what I want you to see. They would add rules to God's righteousness. Keep listening. And when you take the righteousness of God, and then you start adding man-made rules It doesn't become more righteous. It just becomes religion. Ooh, that was good. Write that down. (laughs) And they push the bar up. See, God's standard is righteous. Man's standard is just mere religion. And as they moved the bar up, they were lowering God's standard of love. By the way, that's always at risk, even in the church. God establishes what is wholly righteous. We start making a bunch of rules, and we become rule-religion-driven and less loving. The Pharisees, this was their behavior. And so they would they would stand over here alongside the, the they stand here alongside and say, Y'all come on, you gotta clear that height. Well, nobody's high jumping this. They can't clear it. They keep knocking it off, and they knock it off, and they would just critical spirit. Oh, look at you, you die. Of course not. And with an air of superiority, they act like they're clearing the bar. Because they, they made all these thousands of rules. And, and, and like they're somebody, and with a contempt. They would condemn others. So their spirit was to condemn other people. They look at the hearts of people, the motives of people with a critical self-righteous spirit. They would condemn other people because they're raising the bar. And now Jesus had something to say to them. Look on the screen, Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Jesus was teaching, and he said, Teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Wow. I mean, these are the people who think they're the most righteous. He said, you hypocrites. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What hyperbole. <laughs> what does he mean? It means you guys have raised the bar with thousands of rules and laws. Let me illustrate. Uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And then there are a few laws that are described. There's about 613 law in the law of Moses described how you live that out. They made it thousands until they compiled it in such a way that literally for just the Sabbath day, they created 39 categories of laws and hundreds of laws under each of 39. One of them, for example, was how many steps you could take a day on the Sabbath and still be holy. One step more, you're no longer holy or righteous. So listen, they spent so much energy counting steps that they simultaneously discounted people. Pay attention. Pay attention. When he says they were straining a gnat, he means like illustratively, if you had your glass of wine and you had a gnat in it and you pour it through a cloth in order to strain a gnat, because you don't want to swallow a gnat, that'll make you impure. And while you're doing that, meaning equivalently, you are counting your steps on rules that God never made, while you're missing the biggest issue over here, you're swallowing a camel. Because what is the mark of righteousness? Love. What is it? Love, love God, love others. Oh, they weren't, they weren't loving God or loving others, they were just keeping these little rules. They'd miss the whole point. The essence of righteousness is that you give God is love at the core of His being. They weren't loving people; they were condemning people. They had a critical spirit that was condemning and dismissive. And so they would watch. They would stand here and condemn people because nobody could cross over the bar because they built their own bar. They kind of established their own rules. Nobody was. And then, and then Jesus says, "You hypocrites! Literally, you guys are establishing rules God never made. And worse than that, you don't even jump over it yourself. You." Limbo under it. <laughs> you're like not even clearing it yourself, you hypocrites. You keep establishing rules that you can't even follow while you condemn other people. If you were measured by the same standard, you would be condemning yourself. Because that's what you do. When you have a critical spirit and you're standing here and saying to others, clear it, and they, and they don't, and you're like, I condemn you because you can't clear it. Listen, you only condemn yourself because by the same measurement, you can't make it yourself. That's the Pharisees. You need to unlearn it. Second is the world. Here's what the world does. The world removes the bar. Say it with me. The world what? Oh, they remove the bar. See here's what the world does. The world says, well, you know what? Ain't nobody clearing that anyway. Here's what we need to do. Let's get that thing out of the way. There we go. Now we're gonna redefine love and acceptance. Love and acceptance is, there is no bar. (laughs) There's no standard, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no bad. You are the author of your own rules and righteousness. Just whatever works for you, no big deal. Just run through, just, I made it. (laughs) Because it's all on you. And so love, acceptance and forgiveness means there is no standard. They just remove it. And they have a condoning spirit. Just whatever you want to do, they'll condone. Oh, that's good, that's good, that's your way, that's your, oh, that's good. It's all good. Then Jesus, third picture. And Jesus lifts us over the bar. Oh, come on, you know that's good. Because you know that's what he does. Jesus does what? Lifts us over the bar. you you got to follow this. See, Jesus had a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. It's recorded in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus said, you're clearly from God. Nobody could know what you know and do what you do. Explain it to me. And this is where Jesus gives the very familiar words. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Then it goes on to say, for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn. He did not send Jesus in the world to what? Condemn. It is not the nature of God to condemn. God is gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. He is merciful. It's not his desire to condemn us. So listen, it's not the role of the Pharisees or any one of us to condemn other people. That's not, God could. He's the only one righteous enough to judge. He's the only one that can see the heart. And he chooses not to condemn. God didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn the world. But through Jesus to redeem the world. But that's not all that John 3.16 says. John 3.16 then turns and says, However, if you dismiss Jesus and you reject him, you condemn yourself. You do what? Condemn yourself. you got to read the whole scripture, not the parts you like. <laughs> All of it. Because the truth is in the whole thing. See, if you reject what Jesus did, what did Jesus do? That scripture in John three sixteen, the verses that follow say, in the world there is darkness. There is what? Darkness. And Jesus brought light. See, the world is in darkness saying there is no standard. There is no truth. And you know what, that's what's destroying our lives and destroying our relationships. Because we don't know how to have life-giving relationships and love. And Jesus says, in the world, I am the light in the midst of darkness. I set the standard because this is life-giving. Don't live like there's no darkness and just remove the standard. What Jesus does is lifts us over. And therefore, the role of the church, hear me, the role of the church is not to stand on the side of the high jump and judge the world. We are here to introduce people to Jesus. We are not here to judge. We're here to introduce people to Jesus. And I think the spirit of that can be understood from a story I heard delivered recently, a pastor who was on this subject. It, it comes from the most unlikely place. Something to learn from a Los Angeles motorcycle police officer who gives tickets. Listen in.
0: This is LA Sheriff's Deputy Elton Simmons. And I bet you don't like him already. Seeing him there, hiding in the shadows, why can't he go catch some real criminals, you may be thinking. Or no wonder he has a record number of complaints. Who wouldn't complain about a guy whose sole purpose in life is to ruin your day? Around the corner. By the very nature of the business, all LA County traffic cops can expect to get at least a few complaints every year. A lot of them are petty, people just mad because they got a ticket. But regardless, they all get documented and placed in the officer's personnel file. Which is why Captain Pat Maxwell was stunned when he started looking through Simmons file. I just said that's not possible. Although he did see lots of commendations, looking back over the last 20 years, over the last 25,000 traffic stops, Captain Maxwell couldn't find one complaint. A record. Zero. I mean, Vegas or MIT could not give you the odds of the statistical probability of that. Obviously, Elton is doing something right. Something. Ha- yeah, it's got to be something. Do you but know what I, it is? No. No idea. No. Until the captain told him, Elton didn't even know he had such a record, let alone how he got it. It's just how I do it every day. So we trailed him for a day to see if we could figure out how he does it. Yeah, what's going on? How are you doing today, man? First thing I noticed was okay, that he has so this pitch-perfect mix of authority... So I need you to take care of that. ...and diplomacy. I don't want to keep pulling you over, though. ...with none of the attitude that sometimes comes with a cop. Sorry. Uh, like, That's okay. That's okay. Just, just be careful, all right? I'm here with you. I'm not up here. One thing I hated to be looked down at, I can't stand it. So I'm not going to look down at you. That's why in lieu of a lecture, he gives most people the benefit of the doubt. So it happens. Of course, they still get the ticket. <laughs> it happens. Just you know, not the guilt trip. <laughs> and drivers seem to appreciate <laughs> right, well, that. You know, it's not, not that bad. So right. much so right. that by the end, some are downright smitten. You know what it is? It's his smile. Really? He's got a great smile. Really? Oh, yeah. You're you're giggling now. You just got a ticket. I just got a ticket. He's a
1: nice guy. I mean, you know, it's... I mean, how can you be mad at that
0: guy? Apparently, you can't. Disarming. That's it, disarming. Time after time. Very uh, kind. Ticket after ticket. Never so happy to get a ticket in my life. (laughs) We saw Officer Elton Simmons melt away a polar ice cap of preconceptions.
1: (laughs) Don't you almost want to applaud the guy? I don't even know Elton, but I'm like, Wow! And do you hear what he said? I'm right here with you. Maybe that's what Jesus was teaching us. That the role of the church is to say to the world, I'm right here with you. Man, I can't make it over the high jump of the height of God's holiness. I'm not superior to anybody. Followers of Christ, that's not who we are. And if you ever see us make it over the bar, it's because Jesus lifted us over the bar. <laughs> We're a mess ourselves, if not for Jesus. And so the role of the church is not to judge the world, but to introduce the world to Jesus. Amen? Yeah? See, what that means is to be transformed. You, we have to move as a, as a people and as a person from a critical point spirit to poor in spirit to what in spirit poor in spirit say it with me again to what poor in spirit you may not even know what that means you may not even know that's a beatitude and you may not know what a beatitude is but that will be addressed in december online because we don't have time for all the depth and richness of the sermon on the mount on the weekends But Jesus, the very first thing he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing is you will have a blessed life and blessed relationships if you are poor in spirit. What it really means is so that you're not proud in spirit. A poor in spirit person recognized that spiritually before God, I don't make it over the bar. I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm spiritually poor. I'm in desperate need for God to rescue me. This is a whole theological foundation of a person who can ultimately live it out in Matthew chapter seven and not judge. But you can't break through the not judging unless you can get to a poor in spirit. We don't have time to teach it all, but that's part of the value of online. We need to soak in this long enough that it moves from information to transformation so that we become like Jesus. Do you see the power of this? Now there is so much more to unpack in these six verses. That's why we're doing these six verses in the series. Because after Jesus says, don't judge, if you're a stu- student of scripture, what he turns around and tells you to do is judge. After he says, don't judge, mean don't have really a critical spirit, then he turns around and says, now you need to be really good judges. You need to know when there's a, a beam in your own eye, and you need to be able to discern when there's, when there's a speck of, of sawdust in somebody else's, and help them get it out. Oh, and by, and by the way, what, what's this deal about spiritually discerning who are the wild dogs and the wild pigs? I mean, these are people who live like that spirit. But well, how do you do that without judging? I'm glad you asked. We'll pick that up over the next two, three weeks. So you don't just read the parts of scripture like, oh, that's what I want. I'm going to pull that out and use that for my bet. No, you get the whole thing. What was Jesus teaching but, but, but I'm afraid that, that we need to step into some really practical how-tos. How do you actually take this and move it into a, a handles practically? What, what you have to see, because Jesus wasn't just teaching us what we need to unlearn, which is don't judge. That needs to stop. That needs to end. Because, listen, because a critical condemning spirit destroys relationships. You got to unlearn that. But, but equally, Jesus was teaching us what we need to learn. So go right back to scripture, right where we were. If you kept your Bibles open on page 971, I'll read this for you. Page 971 down to verse 12. Because this is what you need to learn. You need to unlearn the first six verses. You need to learn verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In other words, don't judge. Break from this critical spirit and learn to love. You need to unlearn the judging and learn how to love. And what is love? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You need to learn how to love other people like you want to be loved. I mean, you've got to unlearn religion and relearn relationship and love. This has got to grow in you. This can't be information or it won't transform anything. We were having uh, a meal at home uh, with uh, my wife, Marsha, my uh, youngest, uh, Jaden, who's 14. And he asked for some toast. And, and toast was on this side of the table. So I decided to just pick up the toast. I was going to bless him and, and be gracious to him. I picked up the toast. I know what he wants. And I took the raspberry jam, the homemade raspberry jam to die for. And, and, I, and I was going to just pour it on his bread and spread it and give it to him. And as soon as I grabbed it, I'm like, oh, let me put some raspberry. He said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't like raspberry. I like Strawberry. And I said, son, just stop. I'm practicing scripture right now. <laughs> scripture says to do unto others what you'd have them do to you. And I love raspberry. It's the best thing your mom makes. And because I love raspberry, I would wish you would put raspberry on it, so I'll do it for you. And so I go to point. And he says, stop, Dad. That's not what scripture means. And of course, I'm being sarcastic. I have a lot of fun. Because he's like, I don't want stuff I don't want raspberry. He said, dad, this is more like the five love languages. How many of you have ever heard of the five love languages just out of curiosity? He said, dad, this is more like the five love languages. He goes, apparently, you know, he did a, a little test thing on it with a group, and he said, and, and my love language is quality time. He said, that's awesome, good for you. And, and we were talking about it, and Marsha's love language is quality time. He said, dad, what, 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 of the five, which is your love language? I said, all five. <laughs> I need words of affirmation followed by acts of service mixed in with receiving gifts, with quality time and physical touch. And sometimes just quality touch, but that's, that's you know, some, it's just how you blend them. Did I say that because I was thinking that? Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> He said, dad, that's not the point. The love language, you don't figure out your love language and then use that in the way you love other people. You figure out somebody else's love language and then you love them and respond to them based on what they experience and how they receive love. You missed the whole point, dad. In other words, and he's right, and I was just doing it for the sarcastic fun. In other words... Though I love raspberry and prefer it, my job is to know what he would love and put the strawberry on the toast for him. Out of curiosity, how many of you would be the strawberry people? Just hands up. You'd pick out of raspberry and strawberry, you'd pick strawberry. Hands up if you're strawberry. How many of you would go raspberry? Look at the righteousness. <laughs> you see all those righteous people? Do it again. Raspberry people. If you don't know what righteousness looks like. We're not judging you. You're just wrong. It's okay. We're you get it, don't you? See, it, I know what's at risk with a critical spirit because a critical spirit can destroy your marriage. Listen, I think more people see the unwinding and death of their marriage and family or friendships and coworkers, and they don't know that what's underneath it, the culprit, is a critical spirit and they don't even know it. Because what needs to happen in order for you to grow a critical spirit is a couple things need to grow in you. The first thing is that you become more and more blind to yourself and deaf to God and you don't know it. Blind to yourself and deaf to God. The second thing that has to happen in you is you become hard toward others and soft toward yourself and you can't see it. And that's the only way you can have a critical spirit. That was growing in my early marriage and when things were breaking down in our early marriage and this oppre- impressive woman that I married, Marsha, became less impressive to me in the first couple of years of marriage because I had a critical spirit and I was coming home and looking at what she didn't do right. So man, it, this is, you and handle the budget right and how you do the spending and how you clean the house. and how, I was, Listen, I was looking not at everything she did right but everything she did wrong. I kept establishing more rules and she kept failing them. Well, I would only talk about the things I do right. God had to change some things in me. I had to start a new prayer. Dear God, help me to see what I don't see in me and hear what I can't hear from you. I need to turn and be harder on myself and softer on her. Poor in spirit. I need to learn how to treat my wife the way I want to be treated. God had to transform our marriage. I had to get over this. And by the way, prayer was critical in this. (laughs) Look at verse six where it ends and then jump to verse 12. Do you know what's in between? Jesus talks about prayer. Why? Because you can't get rid of a critical spirit and become a person who loves without the power of God and prayer. You will need to ask, seek, and knock because you will need all that God has in order for you to get over yourself. How many know it's hard to get over yourself? Of course you do. Those of you who aren't raising your hand, you're the worst. No, I'm just, <laughs> just having fun. Just, just. See, I couldn't get over myself. I need to pray. In fact, you, you know how you can see how we, we can't get over ourselves? Do you know how most people quote Matthew 7? We run around and we say, don't judge me. Don't, don't you judge me. Jesus said that. Matthew seven, don't judge me. That's not what Jesus said. The only thing Jesus did is taught me, Kevin Myers, not to judge somebody else. God never gave me permission in Matthew seven for me to run around, be the victim, and watch everybody else say, don't you judge me? Every time you say, don't judge me, and I'm quoting scripture, you're not quoting scripture, you're just absorbed in yourself. The whole point of this scripture was to get you beyond yourself. The only question you were taught to ask is, am I judging others? Nowhere in this scripture does it say run around and evaluate everybody else and be a victim if somebody judges you. Just say, don't judge me, Jesus said so. That's not what he said. The only thing he taught you to do is look around in your relationships and find out whether or not you're judging people because if we would all do that, we'd all be fine. But you can't get beyond yourself. You need prayer, you need the power of God to get there. Tomorrow night, October 23rd, Monday night at Hampton Mill Campus, I'm hosting a prayer training I did it September 8th, a lot of people couldn't make it on that date on a Friday night so I'm doing it on a Monday night. I don't know if there's any room left but you you can sign up if there's room left and be a part of it. Why is that important? Let me illustrate. A year ago, this month, a family came to 12 Stone on the verge of divorce, in fact, she was asking for divorce. Even though in the new year they went to the fight night thing for for couples, uh, they ended up separating, and they lived separate quarters, in fact, 90 days where they didn't even talk to each other. On and on, this maneuvered through the year. In the the hand of God, I'm jumping in the story, but on September 8th, they decided to come together for the prayer training. After that, they said, you know what? We don't pray. We've never prayed together. We don't even know how to pray an hour. Now we've learned. And they made a commitment to pray together an hour every morning. Back together, prayed together an hour every morning since September 8th. This past week, he sat down with his campus pastor in tears and said, God has transformed my life and my marriage. We are staying married. We are more in love than we've ever been. The power of God through prayer has revolutionized who we are. He said, I want to shout it from the rooftops. I'm a changed man. We're we're not getting a divorce. We have the best marriage we've ever had. You see, I'm not telling you go pray because it's a duty. I'm saying it's a life-giving Many people say, well, I don't have time to pray. Of course not, because you're busy fixing your problems. <laughs> but just maybe the power of God would break through. On November the 4th, I've invited the women at 12 Stone because for women's prayer gathering. Look, I, I, I did this for the men for the last year. Now I'm doing it once a month for women starting November 4th. Any women at 12 Stone, any woman who's free to come, any age, age, married, not married, single, doesn't matter, you're welcome to come. It's gonna be here at the central campus. Pray for me. It'll be the first time I'll be in the room with that many <laughs> I don't care if 20 show up, 200, 2,000, doesn't matter. But oh, how you need the power of God. And that's part of His awakening. See, I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastors for prayer, but we probably all need this. Would you bow your heads with me? We we probably all need this. See, are you drifting toward a critical spirit in any of your relationships? Are you harder on others? Than you are on yourself? Are you more blind to yourself and more deaf to God? Would you even ask God? Would you be willing to ask God to help you exchange a critical spirit to being poor in spirit? So, Father, that's our prayer right here. You made us for so much more. And learning how to walk in your love and to love one another, how to love you well and have your love pour into us and translate into relationship. And God, sometimes we get caught in a critical spirit and it not only kills a marriage, it not only kills a family, it kills a church. We can come in and be critical toward each other. God, if any of that's present, would you reveal it and heal us? Maybe we're doing that at work right now and that's part of what's breaking down our work relationships. Would you reveal that in us and begin to heal us? Maybe some of us would confess that's right where our marriage is and we're coming home with the critical spirit. Maybe that's what's broken some of our friendships. God, would you awaken us to the truth of this better, transforming, new life that was designed and provided for through Jesus. Maybe this week, We go home and we look at our spouse and say, I need to learn how to love you and treat you the way I wish you'd treat me. Maybe we say to our siblings, I I need to start treating you the way I'd love you to treat me. Maybe we go to work and we got a new view of our boss and our coworkers. Maybe, God, it's in our church in ways we don't even know and you would help us wherever it's present because wherever it's present, it's killing us. And you would root it out, weed it out, heal us, transform us. God, would you let this be the beginning as we walk through this month, first segment of the Sermon on the Mount. And would you transform us from the inside out. And thereby give us real freedom, life-giving relationships. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen.